This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Like the Fuse podcast. He and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, May 7th, 2023. So how are you today, Drew? Uh, I'm good, Jim. I uh, just got a haircut, so I'm feeling lighter and, <laughs> and brighter. Um, I've, got the, I've got the Little Mermaid world premiere tomorrow, so i got to look good for Sebastian and, all, and the whole gang. So. Oh. Now yeah. you now you see. Do, all right, quick question. They actually use scissors when they're cutting your hair, right? You know that that. You well, know. Uh, in, I think industrial grade garden shears. Okay, like all it. right. Uh, Could, yeah, yes. And, and again, it just gives you some point where I am in in, in my life. You know, I, I don't go to a fancy L.A. barber. I go to Supercuts, where they, they literally treat me like I'm a sheep. You know, it's like they, they, they have the two guards that they use on the, the, the electric razor for me. I think one cuts it at two-eighths of an inch, and the other one got three-eighths of an inch. My haircut takes roughly three minutes. They sometimes stretch out with a little conversation, but it's just sort of, okay, you're out of here. It's like you're back in the army, Jim. Oh, Truly this like is true. This is true. But even then, I feel like they took more time than, of course, I had more hair then. So, <laughs> all right. So, as as I mentioned, we're, we're recording today's show on Sunday, May 7th, and we're just now getting the hard numbers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, this was opening weekend. Did $114 million in North America. That is a bit down from what they were saying on Friday. Weren't, weren't the initial domestic projections around... 120 million. Yeah, I think that was a little optimistic. I I, I thought it was always going to get be closer to 110. Mm. So I think 114 is actually a good showing. Okay. Okay. It's a I, wonderful film. I know you're waiting for the cheapo night to go okay. watch it. But, we are going yeah. on Tuesday, and yes, that is cheapo. <laughs> okay. Now, mind you, if you fold in the 168 million that this James Gunn movie made overseas, that means that currently Guardians Volume 3 sits at $282 million on its, over its opening weekend, over a quarter of a billion dollars. Nice chunk of change. But on the other hand, speaking of a billion, if you remember what Drew said on last week's show about what was about to happen with the Super Mario Brothers movie, which today is in its fifth weekend in theaters, it had absolutely no trouble at all blowing through that barrier. In fact, you were saying, what, it was starting in Japan and China, I, I want to say? Yeah, I believe that was last weekend, yeah. Okay. So you saw and... a whole new round of press with uh, Miyamoto and everything. Mm. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, going well. Well, no, no, absolutely. In fact, right now, stateside, this Illuminations Universal Nintendo production sits at $518 million in stateside ticket sales, $637 million overseas, worldwide gross of $1 billion 155 million. It's the highest grossing film to date for all of 2023. That said, though, did you see 
that we now have a video on demand date for Mario. And I, I'm kind of shocked at how close it is. I mean, what? It's nine days away, right? It's Tuesday. Oh, dear Lord, I counted it wrong. It's, it's two days away. It's when this episode drops, Jim. You can get the... Oh, my yeah. God. Really? I still have trouble wrapping my head around this is how the world works now. That yeah, I mean, this thing is still in theaters. It was... Isn't it number two behind Guardians this weekend? It, yeah, it, it, yeah. All right. But the thinking is you want to do this. You want to make a, a title like this available on VOD while it's still in theaters for all those parents who were like... Oh, God, just let me have a film I can put on repeat and keep the kids quiet for a day. And more to the point that, that they're willing to pay top dollar for the, the opportunity to have a digital version of this. Yeah, I mean, it certainly didn't slow down Puss in Boots. It did know. not. It did that not. played forever. I think it's still in theaters, actually, right mm. now. And uh, it was on VOD almost immediately after it was in theaters. So, yeah. This is true. This is true. Though... One of the, th the reasons that VOD has become such a strong part of the equation is to make up for the fact that sales of physical media, the Blu-ray, the DVDs, have fallen through the floor. That said, I was kind of shocked today while I was doing research for today's show. Uh, did you know that the Blu-ray, DVD, digital version of Disney's Strange World went on sale back on February 14th of this year? Did you hear anything about that? No, I had no idea. The only thing I knew was that the, you can't even buy a 4K in a big box store or an Amazon. That's actually a Disney Movie Club exclusive. Oh, are you kidding me? So they didn't even shell out for the additional format. Yeah. Holy cow. Because I, I was yeah. about to say that Nancy and I are in Target at least three times a week. We frequent two Targets in our local area. And in the past three months... I've never seen a single copy of Strange World in either of these stores. I mean, normally they're on an end cap and just nothing. I'm going to go in, uh, in fact, tomorrow I, I have a grocery run I, I do while Nancy's off teaching water aerobics. And, you know, I, I'm going to go searching for this film to see if I, there's one actually out there. Because right now, and I think this is kind of the saddest commentary on what went on with this film. The only place I can find a copy of it is on Amazon. And it's 50% off? Anyway, strange time in the animation industry. Lots of news yet to share, folks. And speaking of news, the news portion of this week's fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Back to Super Mario Brothers movie for a moment. This Illuminations Universal Nintendo film, fifth highest grossing animated feature in Hollywood history, second highest grossing for Universal Pictures. It's very close behind the first Minions movie that Despicable Me spinoff that was released to theaters eight years ago uh, in the spring of 2015. Which you'd think would be a time of celebration for those who handle animation. On that side of Universal, the folks who work at Illuminations, as well as the folks who work at DreamWorks Animation, but nope. Late last month, they laid off 33 employees, 2% of the workforce, who work at the DreamWorks Glendale campus. Mind you, Drew, this was not related at all to the writer's strike. In fact, I, I wanted to ask, you've seen the picket lines around town? Oh, yeah, Jim, I'm honking, honking all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I have I had to go to a few studios last week, and it was like, 
how do I get in and get out before they show up? Because I do not want to yeah. cross a picket line, even though I, I was just there for a screening or whatever meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very uncomfortable situation, and we obviously stand by the, the WGA and hope that they resolve this soon because it's costing people a lot of money. It is. It is. And I think you saw over the weekend we had our first, uh, what was it, Blade, uh, which, again, has been struggling to get off the pad anyway. They postponed the start of production, which I want to say was in June. But to get back to the the laugh at DreamWorks, again, nothing due to the, to the writer's strike, but rather... It was DreamWorks Animation Management that was just trying to comply with orders coming down from on high from NBC Universal, which is continuing to trim staff across various divisions of that entertainment conglomerate. This is all part of that effort to keep Wall Street happy, this conceit that Wall Street has that, you know, you have to cut. Is it 8 or 7% of your head count? Yeah, it's between 6 and 7. It's weird that every studio has to cut by the same number, isn't it, Jim? It's almost like it was was dictated by a bunch of Wall Street goons. The same Wall Street goons, in fact, who said, put everything in streaming. That's the future. Mm. And are now saying, cut the fat. Cut the fat. Mm. Well, I (laughs) think. All right, just to be clear here, I'm told that most of the positions that were cut were in support roles at that animation studio. I mean, jobs like lighter, compositor, uh, tech director. Also, work continues on the next three films from DreamWorks Animation. We have Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, which arrives in theaters June 30th, Trolls Band Together, that's November 17th of this year, and then Kung Fu Panda, which is out in theaters March 8th of next year. Now, speaking of DreamWorks Animation, Bill Damashik... Does that sound right? Am I doing it right? Yes. The, uh, the, the old DreamWorks guy? Yeah. Yeah, the old DreamWorks guy who just officially got tapped to be the head of the Warner's animation group. And he's got kind of an interesting history. I mean, he got in uh, literally on the ground floor at DreamWorks when it was founded, uh, DreamWorks Animation, in fall of 1994. As the story goes... Jeffrey Katzenberg had had some dealing with Damashik over at Disney. Bill was a PA on Pocahontas. And evidently, Jeffrey liked Bill's hustle and invited him to come on over and join him as as they got this new animation studio up out of the ground. And Bill eventually oversaw DreamWorks animated features like Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, and The Croods. He was also heavily involved in DreamWorks' expansion into live theater, uh, Shrek the Musical, which went to Broadway in December of 2008, and the How to Train Your Dragon's live space. Spectacular. Did you ever see that, Drew? No, I wanted to. It looked really cool, actually. Yeah, it just, it kind of killed me. It was me. not? <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I had literally scheduled a thing to go out to L.A. when I got the invite to come for press day. They were stopping in Worcester, Massachusetts. So Nancy went in my place, and it's literally I'm out in L.A. Well, how was it? Oh, it was so cool. You know, it was the guys who did the uh, Walking with Dinosaurs arena show. Yep. But it was all of the dragons from the film done in three dimension. And the nice thing about the press thing is you're actually on the floor of the arena, getting up close to these things, petting them and that sort of thing. And again, to this day, it was like, oh, 
I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nancy got to do the cool thing. Oh, speaking of DreamWorks stage stuff, though, back in March of 2019, it was announced that Susan Stroman, the woman who directed the Tony Award-winning version of Mel Brooks, The Producers, uh, when it debuted on Broadway back in 2001, it was announced that she would be directing a new musical for the stage based on DreamWorks animation Kung Fu Panda. The show was supposed to be tried out of town, like way out of town, Drew, like at the Venetian Casino in Macau, but then the pandemic happened and plans for the stage show were shelved. So going to be interesting to see if Kung Fu Panda 4 proves to be a big success next March, where the DreamWorks and Universal circle back on this idea of the stage musical based on Kung Fu Panda. Anyway, back to Bill Damashik right now. 2017, he left DreamWorks, went over to Skydance Animation, once again getting a fledgling animation studio up out of the ground, only to then step aside when John Lasseter took up the reins over there. Speaking of which, what are we hearing about Spellbound? We still haven't seen a trailer? Haven't seen a poster? No, no trailer. It'll be it. Annecy, so if I get if I make it there, Jim, I will report back on what from Spellbound is shown. But Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. It's supposed to be this year still. We, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just fascinated about that project. Anywho, uh, we were just talking about fledgling operations. Speaking of fledglings, did you hear about Incas, the Rammer for Incas, the new animated musical that's supposed to be built around, well, not only a small flying dinosaur, but a score that the Sherman brothers started back in the 1950s? Did you see anything about this? I have no idea what you're talking about, Jim. Please tell us more. Okay. Disney fans are definitely going to want to check out this project because it it features a score written by the late Robert B. and Richard M. Sherman, the Academy Award winners behind Mary Poppins, not to mention theme songs from some of your favorite Disney theme park attractions like It's a Small World and Journey into Imagination. And as the story goes, the Sherman brothers, long before they began working for Walt, tried to turn Incas Uh, which was based on this children's record, which was released in 1951. Their idea, they wanted to turn it into a full-length animated feature. But when they got hired by Walt Disney Productions, uh, I want to say they, they, wasn't their initial gig writing songs for Annette Funicello, Hawaiian Annette, or something like that? I mean, only then that, that led to... Poppins and the the like. Anyway, Richard and Robert set Incas aside. Okay, we now jump ahead to the mid-2000s. Robert B.'s son, who goes by the name Robbie, came across the songs that the Sherman brothers had written in the mid-1950s for Incas and decided that this was a project worth reviving. So at Robbie's urging... Richard M. and Robert B. revisit the project and write six additional songs for this proposed animated feature, which raises the number of songs they've written for the score for this film to ten. And what supposedly happened is Incas, the Ramaphorincus, came within inches of going into production in the late 2000s, only to then get derailed by the financial crisis of 2008. Just flat out, the money fell through. And then, sadly, both Richard and Robert Pass, but in 2020, Robbie Sherman co-founds Sherman Theatrical Entertainment Limited with Brett Golden and Andrew Kaplan, and they then went out and actually acquired the IP rights to the original children's record for 51, which now, uh, with the help of Niels Juhl and his business partner Sophie Nordstrom, they're reviving the project, again, with this never-before-heard Sherman Brothers score. 
And Robbie goes on to say that he grew up with Incas. It was something that was in the piano bench at the house. And his dad would periodically play songs from the movie that never got made. He said, I knew all the characters and I knew their songs by heart. I've always believed that if the rest of the world would introduce them, they would fall in love with these characters as well. Just one correction, Jim. Richard Sherman is actually still alive. He's 94, oh, but he is still God. alive. That's right. I apologize. Robert passed away a few years ago. That's right. Um, that's right. Yes. I'm sorry. Forgive me for making a really rude joke here, but yes, Richard M. is still with us. His hairline passed away many years ago. That's true. That is true. It's the world's worst comb over. I just, I, <laughs> I mean, I say that as a bald guy, all right? You know, just sort of like, oh my God. So... Incas is expected to be released theatrically at a yet-to-be-determined date, which I know is vague, but yeah, these things take time. I mean, to make a comparison here, Mushka, Andreas Deja's decade in the works hand-drawn animation featurette, just had its European premiere at the Stuttgart International Festival for an animated film. So, these things take time, you know, again, a decade's here, a decade there. Suddenly you're talking 50 years. Speaking of which, were you ever able to get a hold of Andreas? No, I'll, I'll reach out to him again uh, maybe this week and uh, see what I can dig up about Mushkin. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I really... Hopefully we can get him on the show and... That yeah. would be great. That would be great. Okay, what's wonderful about what Andreas has done here, hand-drawn animated feature up. And speaking of hand-drawn animation, when we get back, Drew and I are going to talk about kind of an interesting phenomena in the animation world from the 1990s, and that was cell reproductions. But first, this. Before we get to cell reproduction, <laughs> suddenly it sounds like we're, it's a biology podcast, folks. Uh, a moment ago, we were talking about Shrek the Musical and the aborted stage version of Kung Fu Panda. And of course, the reason that DreamWorks began developing projects for Broadway was the enormous success that Disney was having with its stage shows, you know, based on animated features. These things were long-running, money-making machines. And case in point, just yesterday, Drew, May 6th, the Disney stage version of The Lion King presented its 10,000th performance on Broadway. It started off at the New Amsterdam and moved to the Minskoff. In fact, I think it moved to the Minskoff to make room for Mary Poppins, right? And it's yeah. it's been there. I on, still have never seen Lion King. We have to change it. When are I you know, coming I know. back to the East Coast? I will. I know. I will call friends in Disney Theatrical and you and your bride. It's one of those things that actually does hold up. But more to the point, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't see this when it was at the Pantages. What was it? In February from uh, March of this year? Because you saw what happened on the very last episode of the late, late show. Oh, yes. And I was even tipped off to that performance. But what? I couldn't I couldn't get it together in time to get down there for it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, what Drew is referring to is that for one performance of the show, the actors who played Timon and Pumbaa stayed backstage and James went on stage dressed as Timon. And, you know, that night, performing in the role of Pumbaa, 
was one Mr. Thomas Cruise. Did, did you get to see the, the stuff on CBS? Uh, yeah, or? I thought that was such a great little bit. I mean, it was it was amazing. Their their chemistry is so great. And oh, yeah. It was really funny. It made me want to circle back on. I never saw the one where he was teaching uh, James how to fly jets. Uh, oh, yes. That's great, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, that one that sounded like a great bit. I'll have to chase Tom that Tom needs down. to do another musical after... Rock of Ages is not very good, but he is wonderful in it. And it's yeah. also fun to see a movie that was shot entirely in Florida for some reason. This um, is true. Yes. This is true. Okay, so now to get to the topic of cell reproductions, can you talk about how this came on your radar, like, dear Lord, 30 years ago, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I... I was going to the parks a lot back then, and obviously the animation component of Disney and Jim Studios, which Jim will eventually uh, get to in his Instagram series that he mm -hmm. has been un unleashing. But uh, there was an entire store next door that, that sold cell reproductions. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I rewatched some of the in-room videos that people have put on YouTube. And there's this really funny, like, sales pitch for them, basically in the middle of one of these Mm -hmm. in-room videos where Roy is talking about the fidelity and the quality. And so I just wondered, you know, where did these come from? Like, where did this market come from? Why isn't it around anymore? I know there aren't any Disney stores anymore because they also did sell them through the catalog. I remember that too. They did. Um, they yeah. did. What's fascinating is, well, cells have been part of the Disney park experience since, geez, the, I want to say the Art Corner opened in 58, 59 in Tomorrowland. Okay. It, it'll kill you to hear this. But you could go in there, and there were actual cells that had been pulled from shorts that the studio had done, from features. And if you could pony up a whole dollar fifty, Drew, you know— you could take one of these things home. Oh, my God. All right. But Disney fell out of the practice in the 60s or thereabouts. And in fact, <laughs> there were these stories about when they would finish production of an animated feature. And during the rap party, it was a tradition to line the super long hallway on the first floor of the animation building with cells from the film. And the animators would start running at the end of the hallway and then jump on the cells and kind of like when you're back east and a sidewalk is frozen and you can slide for like 20 or 30 feet, that sort of thing. That's what they do on the cells. Oh, my God. Dave Smith once told me the, the story about in the early, early days of the archive. I mean, he literally would spend his lunch hour walking around the studio looking for things to put in the archive. I think on the show, we've talked about that time he opened a janitor's closet and there in the top shelf were a full set of maquettes for Pinocchio. And he asked the janitor, where'd you get these? And it's like, oh, they were in the trash. You know, they finished working in the movie and I thought they were cool. So I kept them. So they've been up there for like 10 years. And, you know, and it was Dave was like, well, can I take them for the archive? And it's like, well, they're mine. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I fished them out of the trash. They're mine. And I think he and Dave eventually came to an understanding. But speaking of the trash, Dave is, is wandering around the, the Disney lot one day and happens to look at a dumpster. And there in the dumpster is a four-foot-tall stack of cells from the Aristocats. And Dave literally reaches down into this dumpster, scoops up the, this pile, and takes it back 
to the archive and, and goes through them. And yeah, not all of them are great, but you know, there's, there's a bunch worth saving and he just throws them in a box and puts them in a corner. And then I want to say this was, it's gotta be 76, 77. The company decides they want to get into the cell business again. I mean, mind you, you've seen, You've got to have seen some of the Cavassier stuff they did in the 30s, right? Snow White and Pinocchio, the things that were mounted on wood. Right. Yeah. I was right. going to say that, it, that cells are a very weird kind of shape to them, too. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. They're, they're, not, they're no. not the most, you know, you don't want to sort of put them on a wall, but so the, which makes this whole kind of enterprise weird to me as well. Oh, no, no, no. A absolutely. Absolutely. And this also tells you a lot about what was going on at the company at the time that, you know, we need some new revenue streams because, frankly, nobody's going to our movies. And so they began to contact art galleries around the country. And, in fact, I remember I was managing the Acton Twin Cinema in Acton, Massachusetts, and there was a little – it was a tiny mini mall sort of just off to the side of the theater. And one of the – I want to say it was called the Art Corner – run by Burt Warraby, and what was interesting is they sold Disney cells in there. And I kind of befriended the Warrabies, and every couple of weeks I would save up my pennies. And again, now at this point, they're no longer a dollar fifty. You know, they're $150 a piece. But by the time I stopped managing the cinema there, I think I had four or five cells on my wall. I had a, a something from the Rescuers. I had a Pete's Dragon. I had a really great Prince John from Robin Hood. And Disney and its infinite wisdom during this period, because they had already discovered that and you talked about not only the weird shape of the cells, but it was a it was a weird medium to put paint on. And they found out the hard way that you know, those cells from uh, the 30s and the 40s, the paint would begin to flake off over time. And so what Disney decided to do with the cells from the 60s and the 70s is they laminated them. You know, they literally took a piece of plastic and on top of the cell and then used heat to seal the paint in, which after two and three years, they learned the hard way that they would now separate and the paint chips would fall down into the cell off of the image. It was kind of horrifying. And, you know, especially for, for those of us who spent, you know, our hard-earned dough on, on getting Disney cells. So, which brings us to uh, what Drew's talking about here, the cell reproductions. That as Disney began to have its second golden age of animation. In fact, you can chase these down on uh, eBay these days, but they had big auctions of, what was it? They had a, a Little Mermaid auction. They had a Roger Rabbit auction, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. I mean, you know, the, the, and, and the thing was that those auctions really inflated the value of animation cells at that time. So, there were a lot of folks who wanted to get Disney animation cells that just couldn't afford them at that price point. And so this is when Disney began to produce these cell reproductions. They they would find key moments from animated features. And sometimes they were the actual pose from the film. 
I want to say the, uh, what was it, Lady and the Tramp, you know, Lady and, and, and Tramp having dinner. Likewise, uh, Pinocchio you know, skipping on his way to school, that sort of thing. And they would find one cell that really captured that moment. And then it was a question of matching the paint, matching the line work. At this moment where Disney's creating this new revenue stream, uh, in fact, uh, I, I was just reading, uh, rereading the history of the Little Mermaid, where they talk about. I'm blanking the name of the thing that Pixar created, the uh, the paint program. Oh, caps. Caps. Yeah. Caps. Yes, there were a couple of uh, both CG animated elements in Little Mermaid. I, I want to say Eric's boat. There was a staircase. Uh, I also want to say the rowboat and kiss the girl. But the big deal was the scene at the very end of the film that was done with caps, you know, that which meant that that all of the very talented ladies who'd been at Disney for decades working in ink and paint were soon to be out of a job. Well, you know the funny story about that scene at the end of Little Mermaid, Jim. I forget who which animator told me this, but they had mm-hmm. actually printed the rainbow in the reverse order of the colors. <laughs> so you, I don't know if they fixed it. But apparently the first time they did it, it was like the reverse spectrum. Oh, yeah, dear. yeah. that's how oh. new the CAPS technology was, that nobody really understood what it was. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a very funny uh, anecdote from there. But yes. Well into the 90s. In fact, you know, those of us who remember the Disney Store catalog that would show up at the house every month or thereabouts... The thing about the cell reproduction, I think, particularly if you, you'd bought real cells, there was just something that kind of stuck in your craw about, you know, I don't want a reproduction, I want a real one. But they had one that they did for a Hunchback uh, where it was quasi with the three gargoyles. It was a wonderful pose. And, it, you know, it was part of the big retail push for that particular film in in uh 96 and it was just like oh you know i came within inches of buying that but starting in 1995 with the arrival of toy story it was just this fascinating sort of side phenomenon where the bottom kind of fell out of the collecting market for hand-drawn animation you know that just the whole notion of yeah the old stuff that's good but the cg stuff that's cool that's new that's hot you know, I, I'm sure you get the Van Eaton catalogs for each of the, the auctions that they're doing. Yeah. Well, I was just in there. I sent you audio of a... Uh, you did! You did! it was going like, on. Wow! I mean, you know, the, 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 how much did somebody get for that cow, Yeah, I, I, was, you, know, just, you know, they were selling some pretty funny stuff, but I think we could actually do a live show from in there sometime if you ever oh, want to do that, Jim. Um, I would love to do that. Wonderful space. Yeah. Um, it's right on Ventura Boulevard now. It's just great. And, you know, this is also something that kind of sparked me because I saw they had an original Who Framed Roger Rabbit cell, um, which was only like 850 bucks. Those cells that went for thousands of dollars in the late 80s, early 90s, now on the secondary market, the, the prices have plummeted. In fact, you know, the next time Van Eaton has a, an auction, contact them and get the what things actually sold for the sheet after the fact. And what's sad for me is so often 
pieces of hand-drawn animation that are put out there don't meet their reserve, that people are just not willing to pay top dollar f anymore for, for real uh, cells that were, you know, produced, you know, in the production, actual production of the film. And the cell reproductions, uh, that market's been hammered on even harder. People are like, well, that's a reproduction. That's not real. You know, whatever. I'm not going to pay top dollar for an actual cell. Why should I pay for a, a reproduction? And which makes me think now would be a really good time for me to go hunting for that hunchback cell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me also think, Jim, that at Fox, and I cannot mm. believe I did never bought one of these, but they had mm. a little store and by the cash register was literally like a you know plastic tub of simpsons mm. cells original simpsons oh. cells oh. dating back to the early 90s i mean and you could just rifle oh. through oh there's frank grimes oh, you know it was like it was really amazing and they were like 25 dollars or something oh. and i never bought them and i never know why and i'm sure they're gone now that disney owns fox but it was really yeah. amazing but you know you have you have you know, 500 episodes or whatever, you're going to have an excess of these cells, you know? Oh, no, so. no, no, no. Totally, totally, totally. Oh, uh, before I forget, uh, you were so nice the last week to sort of give us the, the rundown on Star Wars Vision Season 2. Did you watch? And I'm, 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 I'm in the process of watching okay. right now. That, that In fact, I stopped so we could record Did this. Did you watch Unicorn uh, Warriors Eternal yet? Not yet, not yet. But I, I wanted to ask you about Rogue Almost One. What did we think of that? Uh, that was very silly. Uh, I just watched it last <laughs> night. I thought it was it was fine. I mean, we love David Silverman. He's the man. It always does my heart good to see David's name. Because again, you know, people forget co-director of the original Monsters, Inc. Yes. And if you ever see Michael Giacchino out in the wild, mm -hmm. and there's a mm -hmm. crazy man in a top hat next to him, that is David Silverman. Just remember that he was in he oh. was in Werewolf by Night. He was the guy playing the tuba on fire. Was yes. he really? Yes. Oh yes. no! Yeah. Okay, now I got to go back and watch yeah. that. So, and uh, speaking of going back to watch things, out ahead of Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. I mean, how do you and Charles get ready for the new films? Do Do you guys a lot of pushups? A lot of pushups, Jim. <laughs> That's the first thing. No, we are we're ready. We're gonna start start our our big uh, Dead Reckoning Part One push very soon. Um, before okay. that, though, Jim, I wanted to, to plug something that I mm -hmm. I will be hosting a chat with none other than Craig McCracken at Gallery Nucleus <gasps> this Saturday, the Saturday after this goes up, and then the next wow. week I will be doing a Puss in Boots panel at Gallery Nucleus. Mm -hmm. So. Come oh, out, so cool. See me talk to some amazing people. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, Craig, we're going to be talking about his whole career. There's going to be some really great stuff. Um, oh, and, uh, wow. Yeah, more Puss in Boots fun. Seriously, folks, they, they do so many great things at Gallery Nucleus. But uh, but I love, you know, uh, when uh, didn't you do the bad guys thing with them as well? I didn't or? do the bad I did. The last one thing I did with them was DuckTales, which was really great. There we go. It was really, really there we great. Go. Um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. So anyway, if you can make it to either of those, I think you can actually watch it online too. So um, Even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even better. 
Okay. And speaking of great stuff, if you are not listening to Drew's Light the Fuse podcast, folks, you are missing out on some amazing stories. Mr. Taylor, along with his equally talented co-host, Charles Hood, take you behind the scenes, well, not just on Mission Impossible, but also John Wick. And, and uh, I, are you stunned at how much money John Wick 4 is making? I'm happy. I, mean, I loved of... John. Did you see it, Jim? You didn't see it. Too long for I, you. Uh, Three hours. <laughs> Too much killing. <laughs> This is true, and it just, and again, I you know I, I'm still not over the dog thing. Yes, and in fact, that that's kind of why I'm I'm kind of hesitant going into Guardians Volume Three. I've been hearing a lot about the animal stuff, and it's oh, yeah. like, oh. yes, uh, it's 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 a lot. But yeah, I, I'm happy John Wick mm. made made so much, but we know that if there's anybody that can challenge the Super Mario Brothers crown, I think it is Mr. Ethan Hunt and the gang. This is true. Yeah. This is true. So, all right. Well, anyway, be sure and check that out, folks. Uh, oh, by the way, we, we have a couple other podcasts here you might want to check out. Uh, we, of course, have Disney Dish that I do with Lynn Testa. Uh, likewise, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. And speaking of which, Aaron is busy right now editing. And God, I apologize. It took us six weeks to do this. But a brand new episode of looking at Lucasfilm. Beyond that, uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also Light the Fuse, that would be very helpful. Likewise, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be cool, too. Which brings us to the social media portion. I mean, I, I'm i still on Twitter, and you are? Yeah, too, I'm still Drew? there. Yeah, I mean, it is okay. becoming so... Okay. difficult to navigate but it is it is I, I, and again that's one of the reasons why I, i'm now finally doing things on instagram but it's still feeling my way in fact <laughs> weren't you just giving me guff about the whole mcdonald's guardians volume three yes, I was, toys? I was. <laughs> so this is what alice is going to uh pick through when you're gone jim this, she's gonna say why did he true. why did he collect every guardians of the galaxy <sighs> Uh, you know, I, 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 well, again, I thought, I'm had, kind I thought of, they were done with the hard plastic stuff, actually. So I was amazed to see that. Well, the story I heard and, and that in 2001, McDonald's announced that, you know, because everybody's, you know, kind of looking at the, the microplastics in, in all aspects of our food and water and that sort of thing. It's like, well, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. So they announced that they were going to discontinue uh, the use of plastics for Happy Meal toys. Uh, and, and with an end date of 2025. And so evidently they started doing it with cloth toys and paper toys and people rebelled. So this set of plastic toys for the Guardians Volume 3 is one of these, oh, okay, all right, if you're going to be you know bitchy about it, okay, we'll, we'll make some more. But that 2025 date is still set in stone. In fact, you know, Disney also is doing the same thing with its single-time use of plastic, I think is the, the term right. they use. They've gotten rid of bags in the park, uh, the single-use bags. So, yeah. Well, yes, but the point of purchase, the poor cast members who work at the cast registers who are like, oh, you know, and would you like a bag? It's it's an extra dollar or 50 or, or two bucks. And it, they're the ones taking the heat from the guests who complain, and now more money. But again, it's it's good for the environment. And plus, you know, you can do like I do. Like here at the house, I've got my 50th anniversary bag full of batteries, uh, you know, for the various devices around the house. Dear God. So, Jim, there'll be a wellness check tomorrow. So I'm going to send one of the boys <laughs> over from county. 
take a look. <laughs> all right, I'll start cleaning now. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, I guess that's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And Mr. Taylor will be back with a report of what it was like to be there. Now, El Capitan, not the Dolby, right? No, it is, uh, it is only the Dolby because... <laughs> I think I can say mm. this since this show will come out after the premiere, but I think it's because yeah. it's a cost-cutting measure. Because if they don't open the El Cap, then they don't have to close the street down. And they this, can do the yeah, party think... either on the roof, which mm -hmm. is what they did for Guardians, or at the Roosevelt mm -hmm. across the street, which is what they're doing for Little Mermaid. And mm -hmm. everybody wins. It's a, uh, you know... Okay. If it keeps more people employed, Jim, that's all I, I want, you know? So, yeah. Then same thing here same thing here okay well all right enjoy your time at the party at the roosevelt and we'll get the full details next week but till then thanks for listening folks and we'll be back soon